Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Mommy's always the clown at the party. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. I didn't poop. I peed. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. We're 12 minutes in and I've already solved it. (laughs) A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I am the messy crier at every emotional event. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're talking about whether it's okay for us to be emotional in front of our kids. (laughs) I'm really hoping the answer is yes, Amy. (laughs) Otherwise, I'm in a lot of trouble. It better be yes. You know, I've done some research. I have some studies. I'm bringing the science this week. And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And we'll talk about why. We recorded our Moms Are Not Okay episode, and we got a lot of feedback that people were basically like, OMG, thank you. Yes, moms are not okay, which is, I think, pretty realistically where we all are right now. And so then came the follow up question, like, what do I do with that, though? I feel horrible. I'm depressed. I'm emotional. I'm angry. And how much of that do I have to just cry in the shower? There was a woman, a seasoned mom who commented on our Facebook page, like, if these bathroom walls could talk, like how many hours moms have spent tearfully in the bathroom throughout the generations. And it kind of moved me like this, this image of like, the moms always taking time out and away and and taking their time to cry in the shower, basically. And so I think it's a really timely conversation. Like, what are we doing with this? Well, this topic actually came, as you said, from the Facebook group, as so many of our topics do. People start great conversations. It's facebook.com slash groups slash what fresh hell cast. And Julie over there said This is what she said. Is it good for kiddos to see their moms have emotions? And how can we talk through our emotions with our kids? My grandmother, this is Julie talking, lost her husband when my dad was 11 years old. She had four kids, no job. She had to take care of everything. Once I asked her how she coped with all of that, and she said she just held it together always, except when she cried in the shower at night. There she is. At the time, I thought, yeah, the shower cry. At first, I thought, wow, how strong of her. Now that I have kids, I kind of wonder, is shower crying always good? 
never good, sometimes good. Shower crying is good. We're going to talk about why that is. I got some science for you on that. But it doesn't mean you never cry in front of the kids. I will say we have talked about this one other time. We did an episode called When Mom Struggles with Janelle Hanchett, who is the woman who created RenegadeMothering.com and had very profound struggles with addiction, both herself and her husband, and wrote a book about that struggle. And we talked a lot and really frankly about, you know, that her children pretty much saw her hit the wall and crumble and kind of fail. And now she and her whole family have kind of reconstituted this new life. And it was an interesting conversation about what if you can't hide your problems from your kids? Maybe there's something good in that. Yeah. Or at least there's a way you can recover from that, right? Like there's work to be done on the other side. If your kids saw you crumbling from addiction, that doesn't have to be all bad if you, you know, do the work to build things back, I suppose. I think that's right. And I not to spoiler alert, Amy, but I think that where we will come to in this is probably like most things, there's some balance, right? That we understand to a certain degree that there is harmfulness in kind of using our kids as like coat racks for our baggage, right? Like dumping all of our problems on them and being like, I don't know how we're going to make it. Like they want to see strength from us and they want to see that we're okay. And that's important for them emotionally. But at the same time, like doing the crazy tap dance of like, mommy's never sad. Mommy's always the clown at the party. And then mommy goes and cries in the shower. That can't be right either, right? Yeah, no, it's not. And there's a bunch of reasons why. Should we get to that? Should we start talking about why that is? Let's dive in, Amy. Okay. So there is an expert named John Lamble. He researches emotional awareness in kids. And so he talks about the different sort of ways you can approach this and, you know, the strengths and limitations of each approach. So the first one is what he calls suppressed emotion, like what you were just saying about like, everything's fine. Mommy's never sad, never showing emotion in front of the kids. You know, Julie's grandmother who never cried in front of the kids when her husband died when her oldest was 11, you know, the like the complete toy soldier. There's a reason why that doesn't always work very well. When you hide outward signs of emotion, your the work that you do to suppress the emotion causes your blood pressure to go up and that stress is outwardly manifested. So you're suppressing the emotion is also coming across to your kid. And as you like to say, kids make everything about themselves. So if the kid doesn't see you crying about something, but sees you battling with yourself not to cry about something while you're, you know, slinging the chicken nuggets for dinner, they're going to see that. And without an explanation around it, will maybe create one that centers on themselves and something that they have done wrong. Right. So that's why you can't suppress entirely. And you also, I think there's another aspect of this. You can't suppress because kids know the truth. And that's hard, too, because if your kid sees you lying, they're going to know you're lying, basically, you know. And I went through this. My mom passed away three and a half years ago now. And it is really hard because I was really sad. And I honestly, it wasn't that I wanted my kids not to be sad. It was that I didn't want one more thing on my plate, you know? And I really didn't want to have to deal with my mom's, you know, end of life anxiety that I was, you know, there and talking her through with. My incredible sadness 
that she was dying and then like looping my kids in so that they could also put more stuff on my plate. That seemed very overwhelming to me. But I remember at the time, my oldest was probably, let's say nine. And I walked upstairs one day after coming home and he said, how's grandma? And I said, you know, she's not doing very well. And he said, is she going to die? And I just had a moment of like, yeah, I guess she is, you know, and but I do remember, like, I don't think I would have offered that. Like, he asked the question. I wasn't going to lie about it. But I really understand why people don't want to loop their kids into it. And it's not just that, like, they were taught to keep a stiff upper lip and that's, you know, wrong. It's because, like, it adds to your emotional burden that your kids are burdened, too. Yeah. You have the job now of comforting your child and making your child feel better about it when you don't have the space to do that in your heart. Right. It starts to feel like a life raft. And you're like, I can't take on any more passengers at this point. Like the life raft is full. And like letting my kids into this instead of walling them off, like it just feels like now we're going to sink. You know, the grief thing is one category because your child will experience the loss of a grandparent. They'll grieve, but of course, differently than you grieve the loss of a parent. Your child could experience your grief as something that was happening to you and your child can wish it wasn't happening to them, but it's separate from them. So I have a slightly different example of the same thing, like trying to suppress your emotion in front of your kids and why it isn't always successful. Recently, when my daughter was pretty sick, she had COVID and she woke me in the middle of the night to say she had severe stomach pains. And my mind immediately went to this like, you know, syndrome that the kids can get where they're They need to go to the hospital. And she never wakes me in the middle of the night. And I called the pediatrician and I'm waiting for them to call me back at 2.30 in the morning. And I thought that I presented to her a very like, okay, we're going to wait for them to call us back. Like I thought I didn't cry in front of her. I didn't freak out in front of her. I presented it totally calmly. But when I talked to her about it later, she said, oh, I could tell you were freaked out and that made me more freaked out. So I thought I was doing a really good job of keeping it calm. But again, she was reading my like, we're not going to, everything's fine. She could see that very clearly for what it was. Now my kid's a little older. She's 13, right? And so I said, well, what do you think I should have done something differently? And she said, no, but you know, you couldn't hide it from me that you were concerned. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So hiding it kind of doesn't work and can maybe make it worse, right? Because then your kid is like, if they're not even telling me how bad it is, then it must be very bad indeed. An illness of a child is very specific, I realize, but it's... Well, but I think in general, that thing of like, dad and I get along great. It's like, yeah, I don't think so. Or, you know, I'm not worried at all about my mom. Like, no, that's not what I'm seeing. I think that, and it's very hard. I think it's hard for us to be in touch with our own emotional truths. My sister has a saying that I say all the time. It's like, there's nothing more fascinating than watching another person describe themselves. Because your most uptight friend is always like, I try to let things roll off my back. And you're like, wait, what? Like, that's not you at all. That's not what you do. (laughs) And I think that it's hard for us to be emotionally truthful with our children because it's very hard for us to be emotionally truthful with ourselves. Yes. And, you know, when my mom was dying, I was sort of like, I'm fine. I got it. I'm holding it together. You know, and it's like that probably wasn't really true, but that was important to myself at the time. And so it's you're never going to be perfect at this because you're busy convincing yourself of truths, you know. Yeah. But then, of course, like to swing the other way for us to have uncontained expressions of grief or fear in front of our kids would have been a very bad idea in those situations. 
you can't, I'm definitely not saying that you need to just like let them see what's really happening. Like that would definitely be a bad idea, particularly in those situations. Your kid needs to feel safe. I just wrote this down while you were telling that story about your daughter. I think the key is that it is fine for our kids to see our emotions, but we cannot ask them to hold our emotions. Ooh, I like that. Thank you. I just came up with it and I wrote it down. (laughs) But I think that that to me is the divide. Like I am crying and I am sad that my mother is so sick. Fine for my kids to see and participate in with me, although it's going to freak them out a little bit. But not going upstairs and waking up my 10-year-old and being like, I don't know how I'm going to go on. I really don't. You know, that's holding it. And so I think that that maybe is a good way to think about it that I just thought about. And same with your daughter comes to you and is sick and you can say, God, this is freaking me out. I don't know what to do, but we're going to get together with the doctor and make it work. But not like, do you know what this could be? This could be this fatal syndrome. Like there's a line between like, I'm going to be honest and let you see what I'm feeling. And I'm going to like hand you a very heavy parcel. Yeah, that's well said. So thanks. Let's wrap, Amy. Let's just call this thing. We're 12 minutes in and I've already solved it. You did it. Done. Bye, guys. So the middle ground, right, that we're like, clearly, this is all about this, like, gray area, we'll know when we see it, we'll know it when we're standing on it, this middle ground of talking about our emotions with our kids and presenting our emotions to our kids in a way that's useful and safe for them and for us. It seems pretty tricky, but there is a way to do it. Yeah, I think there's definitely a way to do it. And I think it's thinking about the weight of the package generally. And that's, there's a book, the author's name is Corey Ten Boom. It's about the Holocaust in, can't remember the country. Anyway, but I remember there's a scene in that my sister quotes it all the time that the dad's like, I'm not ready for you to hold this yet. And I think that's the whole idea, right? Like, what are we giving our kids to hold? And is it the right weight for them? All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how to set up the right way to present our emotions to our kids. Oh, that sounds important to me. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while 
still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Okay, so more science for you. John Gottman, who's a psychologist that started the Gottman Institute, he did this long paper that I read some of for this episode about what he called parental meta-emotion philosophy. So he says, here's the thing, that we have emotions as parents, as people, and then we have thoughts and emotions about those emotions and our kids' emotions. And that's meta-emotion. In other words, like, I'm feeling, you know, fear about my mom being sick, and then I feel apprehensive about expressing that fear in front of my kids. That's a meta emotion, right? It's like emotions about your emotions. Makes sense. That's the lifeboat thing. It's like, I don't even want to let them in the boat and have to deal with all that stuff. Right. So now you're dealing with two things, as you were saying before, right? So that's like the meta emotion thing. And so that's hard, but that needs to be there because that sort of meta emotional awareness that we have helps us parent correctly, helps us find this middle ground, right? To both experience the emotion and stand outside it and sort of watch ourselves experience the emotion. That's not something that children know how to do. It's something adults learn how to do. And so children learn to do that by watching us do it. And that in turn helps them become able to regulate their own emotions as they get older. At least that's what he argues. So exactly what you were saying before about I'm feeling pretty worried about this, but we're going to call the doctor. We're going to wait and hear what the doctor says. And, you know, and in the meantime, let's make some tea that's sort of narrating your feelings about it and reassuring them at the same time. That's how you work through this, because that's actually teaching your kids how to be grownups. Yeah. When my mom died, my kids were 10, 8 and 6, I think. And it's really interesting. In the last year, we've had people in our life die, die from COVID, die from other things. It's been not a great year for us. And I have really seen such a difference in their emotional response. Like at 10, eight and six, they were kind of like, my 10 year old got it. But like my six year old just didn't get it at all. Basically, you know, she was like, oh, I remember she had a, another friend who lost a parent. She was like, I think I'll bring them a popsicle. You know, she was just at such a different level of understanding. Like, mm -hmm emotions and hard things. And I've really seen this year that like my kids, when something bad happens, they're like, I need to get on the phone and talk to my friends. And it's still like a weird kind of performative thing that's going on with them emotionally. Like, I need support. And it doesn't seem to matter the degree of closeness they had to the person. Like, they just seem <laughs> yeah. to be into this idea of like, I am the one with grief right now. And it's just been very interesting to watch. Like, wait, what? And it's been losses that were close to us and like quite removed from us. And they kind of react exactly the same way. 
And you think it's because they're sort of acting out like this is how I see grownups deal with grief, that they lean on other people for support. That's what one does. So that's what I'm going to try on. Yeah. And there's also the sort of like very kind of young person thing of like, I will be the center of attention now because something has happened to me, you know, right? which is how people their age express emotion. But it's just more that I've been fascinated to watch. I don't want to get over into like personal details about ourselves and our kids. But like, I have just found that it's very interesting to watch how differently they have processed different things at different ages. And they're just coming into the age now where they're, it's kind of really hitting them, but their expressions of it are still a little wonky, I guess. Yeah, they're still learning. Yeah, they're still learning. There was a study of mothers and preschoolers. And it's funny, most of these studies are, you know, mothers and children, not parents and children, because you know, for reasons that are maybe sexist and also completely honest, a lot of this work of emotional stewardship is the mom, right? So they had mothers and preschoolers. The mothers were supposed to keep a diary of their emotions, you know, using smiley faces, sad faces, that kind of thing. Like today, I feel this and writing a couple words. And they shared those diaries with their preschoolers and talked about their emotions that they had during the day. The children of mothers who expressed more sadness, tension, things like that to their three-year-olds had six-year-olds three years later who were much more deft in their emotional knowledge than the kids whose mothers had only expressed positive emotions. I hate these kind of studies, as you know. (laughs) What do you hate about this one? I just hate it because I feel like it's like you hold this very specific key to whether your kid comes out okay emotionally in a way that I don't really believe. I think there are so many factors that go into those things. And I don't like holding out to people that like, if you keep a journal, your kid will turn out better than if you don't. Like, But I think there's a kernel of truth while I push back in general about like you have no idea the factors that went into what those people's lives were like. And like you're pulling out one thing that, you know what I mean, as a definitive factor of what made the difference in these kids. And you have no idea what the other factors were, you know. But there's good news in here. There's good news for all of us, which is that the kids whose mothers expressed a wider range of emotions in this admittedly very controlled study were better off emotionally than the kids whose parents didn't. So not only is it okay to express sadness within a you know safe, controlled way to your small child, it's actually good because it coaches them to be more emotionally aware as they grow. Yeah, I think study aside, I think that's probably a good takeaway that like being able to express sadness and just being able to express a range of emotions is probably healthier. I'm down with that. And I think as a tangent from that, that the idea of keeping feelings journals is extremely useful and something that I would be like, tweet, tweet, that sounds horrible. (laughs) But I have had kids at different phases who we've been like, what's going on with this kid? They seem really out of control. They seem to have a really hard, whatever. You make these kind of general, and the first thing that anyone ever tells us to do is keep a journal of how they act all day and write it down. It is such a useful exercise to do with your kids because it keeps you, it checks your story. Yeah. So that when you feel for yourself, like I'm always yelling at my kids, write down for one week how many times you yell at your kids. You're going to see that you don't yell at your kids as much as you think you do. Or see that you yell at them every day at four, right? Right. And then figure out like, that's right, the factors. It's such a good exercise to do. And I would have never thought about it. So 
this is an opportunity, right? When we have negative emotions, in other words, that we can actually be sort of coaches that by sort of talking ourselves through it, walking ourselves through it in front of our kids, we can help them with their own emotions and we can help them learn to talk about their own emotions and express them. Because I think we can agree, right, that like expressing emotions is better than, you know, swallowing them and living with chronic stress, right? This is the goal to have emotions that can be expressed and gotten rid of. Like crying in the shower is totally good. I think crying in the shower is really important when you have emotions that maybe you can't express in front of your kids yet or at all, but you're not going to not express them at all. You're going to express them somewhere that's safe and contained. You're not just going to move forward and not have any outlet for your negative emotions, right? Like shower crying is good. Yes. To continue our metaphor, you're taking your bag somewhere else and putting it down rather than handing it to your kid. That's fine. That's reasonable sometimes. Yeah. Like the primal scream therapy, right? It's like do it somewhere if you can't do it in front of your kids, but don't not do it. Like the stoic thing is as we've already discussed, maybe like not working as well as you think it is in terms of what your kids are picking up on, but also, you know, just bad for your health and for your <laughs> mental and physical health. I have a total oldie lux alert, but there's a great episode of Cheers. Now that is an oldie lux alert. I have to admit it. <laughs> Back in my day. Sitcom about a bar and there's the, it's Woody Harrelson. He plays Woody the bartender and he's always like in a good mood. He's like a local yokel, you know, like happy guy. And at some point the psychiatrist on the show who's Frasier says like, how do you do it? Like, how are you always in a good mood? And he does this hilarious monologue. I'll see if I can find it on YouTube and I'll put it up. But like, he's like, oh, when I feel a bad feeling, I just push it down. <laughs> like it's in a bottle and I just keep pushing. And like, it's this hilarious insight that he's just like crushing all of his emotions under this happy surface and it's LOL. So your frame of reference is old sitcoms and mine is Broadway musicals. In the Book of Mormon, there is a song called Turn It Off. Turn it off like a light switch. It goes click. And it's about a guy who's gay and has just decided he's not going to think about it ever in his whole life. And <laughs> yeah, and it's the Book of Mormon characters and the yeah. Woody from the bartender. They're cut from the same cloth. It's like, what makes this person so happy all the time? Stuffing it down and turning it off as it turns out. When you said tweet, tweet before, it reminded me of my grandmother, because I love that you've like fully taken that on as you're saying, even though it was my grandmother. <laughs> as it must it. be. I'm taking tweet, tweet. It's so useful. <laughs> tweet, tweet for our new listeners. Tweet, tweet. My grandmother just used to say that. And somebody reached out on Facebook recently and said, I believe it was on Facebook. It was somewhere on social media and said, hey, like the word twee which means like a little too much and just like, can we just ease up on this nonsense a little bit? That's what twee means. And was it possible that my grandmother was thinking of the word twee when she used to say tweet, tweet? And the answer is probably. So she used to think like Christmas morning was tweet, tweet, because we all just got too many presents, right? Birthday parties. I don't know. Like if I got like three new outfits for back to school and I went to show them to her, you know, ooh and ah over them. But then she'd say tweet, 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 yeah. tweet, Amy. Well, my guess is when you brought her your emotions, she was also a little bit tweet-tweet yes. because I had an Irish grandmother as well, and that didn't go over great. Although I will say my grandmother lived with us. So when we were little, my grandmother was, yeah, she was a, a safe space. I mean, she was tough, just like Julie's grandmother. Same thing. She lost her husband when my dad was eight, and she had to go back to becoming a wage earner. She had, before she was married, become the wage earner for her mother, having lost her own dad at a young age and her brothers and sisters because she was one of the oldest. Then she married my grandfather, 
My grandfather died less than a decade later, and she was back to like in the 50s, making her way as a single parent and never gave herself, you know, a moment's credit. Like she never went to therapy for that, right? She never unpacked her responses to this. She just never did a yoga class. She just moved forward. And, you know, she did it. And almost certainly there was some shower crying, though. There must have been some shower crying. But I, of course, I never saw it. But of course, but when I needed to do a little crying that I was feeling very sorry for myself that, you know, I got yelled at or whatever, I would run upstairs to, you know, my grandmother's living room upstairs. And like, you know, she was a soft place to fall for me. Yeah. She must have had great, great strength and emotional health, right? To have lived through all that stuff, not processed it, and still been like the soft pillow of lovingness that she was, even though she said tweet, tweet all the time. (laughs) She was both. Yeah, I have a revelation about that, Amy. I'm going to share it right after this. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids turns out that is the key to saying optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate? Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S P O R T S R E S E A R C H dot com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. And now, things kids think moms do out of total love for them, but that moms really do out of total emotional exhaustion. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Let's have pancakes for dinner. Let's play Who Can Be Quiet for Longest. Sure. You guys can go ahead and make a fort out of the living room cushions. Let's have ice cream for lunch. 
Okay, you guys can watch TV all morning if you make your own breakfasts. It's Yo-Yo Day, kids. You're on your own for all meals and snacks. I trust you to make good choices. You know what, honey? If you go practice that awesome song upstairs for an hour, I'll give you a dollar and you can come sing it for us all at dinner time. You know what? No homework tonight. We're going to skip it. I'll just write your teacher a note. It's pizza movie night, kids. Yes, every Friday. Let's lie down very still on the couch in our PJs right away. This has been things kids think moms do out of total love for them, but that moms really do out of total emotional exhaustion. From the Wet Fresh Hell podcast. Amy, this is something that it took me a long time to realize, which is that your parents and your grandparents and all the and your teachers are fully formed human beings with emotions of their own. And I remember that like that literally did not occur to me about my own mother until I was, I want to say, in my 20s. Absolutely. Like it shocks me how long my husband said this once to me and it made me laugh because I was like, this is such a truism about life. It's like running into your teacher at the grocery store. You're like, you eat? Like when you're in elementary school. Like, I thought you just popped up from behind the desk every morning when I walked in. Like the idea that your teacher would need food for sustenance was shocking to him when he was like eight years old. You know, like it's like as a child, the people in your life are just cardboard cutout figures there to serve the story of your life. Mm hmm. There's some sort of term for that. It's not abject permanence, but it's like the idea that your eyes create the world, basically. Oh, yeah. What is it? It's like mind theory. Shoot. We've talked about it before. Theory of mind. Theory of mind. Right. That the idea that people exist outside of you. And yeah, and have emotions that are separate from your own. Like you can be happy that you have the truck, but the other boy is crying because he also wanted the truck. That's theory of mind to get that. Like, oh, he can feel differently about this than I do. Kids don't get that. And theory of mind goes on your whole life, right? Because mine took a long time. Like, I did not have proper theory of mind towards my parents until I was in my 20s. Right. And even then, it still would occasionally shock me when my mom would say something like, well, that was really disappointing for me. I'm like, what? disappointing for you? Like a human, you mean? Like, it's shocking. Yeah. I wonder if our kids will experience that differently. Because I think my grandmother was one way. And then the way our parents parented us was, you know, I think still 75% of the way there, right? That difficult emotions are not to be expressed around your kids, in front of your kids. You know, that would be a negative thing at all times and something to be avoided. I mean, I don't know if we're swinging too far the other way, but we better not be, right? Like the pandemic, like we're all doing it. It's been impossible to hide from the realities of our real lives, our emotional lives for the last year and a half. So we better get some parameters around how to make it work. I think so, but I also think it doesn't fundamentally change the theory of mind issue that your kids still look at you and they're like, there's the mom robot who brings the food. Yeah. Like they see you as a wholer person than that. But like you will have conversations with your kids when they're 30 or when they're first having kids where you're like, there were moments where I felt really hopeless, you know, when I had the three kids and they'll be like, you did, you know, they don't see you as a full emotional human being there. This is not possible. Yeah. And that's okay and developmentally appropriate also. Absolutely developmentally appropriate. And that's why sometimes the sharing of emotions with kids is challenging because I will come home and be like, my mom, you know, is very, very sick and it looks like she's dying and 
this is really hard for me and I'm on the front lines of this and it's exhausting. And then 10 minutes later, my 12 year old will yell at me because I didn't cut the carrots correctly. And then you're like, wait, I just told you that I'm at like emotional level negative 1000. But he does not have the emotional maturity. Like, if you did that to me, I'd be like, I can't be friends with Amy mm-hmm. anymore. Obviously, she's a sociopath. Mm-hmm. But, like, your 12-year-old does not have the emotional maturity to deal with that. And maybe not your 16 or 18-year-old either. And maybe not your husband sometimes. Like, dealing with other people's emotions is super, super complicated. And that's, I think, where you have to, you can show your authentic emotions. But that's where, like, the baggage stuff comes in where, like, you're expecting a specific response or you're getting into like your children should be helping you with these emotions. That's the wrong role. I still think. Yes, that's the wrong role. I asked my 13 year old because we were talking about that, you know, that story when I thought I was doing a better job of managing the situation and making her think I thought it was fine than I was. So I asked her like, when do you think it's okay for parents to show emotion in front of kids. And she said, I'm going to say it's always a green light. It's okay if it's about something that doesn't directly involve the kid. And I thought that was kind of a good like rule of thumb. I think that's good. I think that's fair. And I'm like, what about this situation? She's like, if it does involve them, then you just have to reassure them before or after you express the emotion. Wow. She's smart. Good job. Yeah. I also think this is a classic example of our rule that like your kids are not going to do what you say. They're going to do what you do. Yeah. So in talking to your kids about your emotions, that's another thing to keep in mind. Like, are you modeling like I am really depressed? I think the sunlight is really getting me down. I'm just having a hard time getting through the day. So I'm just going to order more taken food and take more things off my plate and try to put my face in the sunshine versus gossiping about other people and how annoying they are. You know, Mm -hmm. that's a different thing to do with your kids than expressing emotions. And so I think that, yes, using the test of like, is this how I want my child to someday process their own emotions is a good yardstick. We haven't really talked about ages and stages. And one of our listeners, Sabrina, brought up a good point. She said that she doesn't cry in front of her kids. Her kids are very young. They're two and three. And if she says, if they see me cry, they get super upset and they don't understand. I think that I will once they get a bit older because they're boys and my husband buries his emotions until he breaks once every two years. <laughs> so <laughs> Every two years? Wow. Amazing. <laughs> my husband's on like the once every 20 years plan. And so, you know, she does make a good point that for like a baby can see you cry. A baby doesn't have a theory of mind. And so, right, doesn't bother them. But then somewhere around two or three, it makes me think of the, have you seen the video with of the toddler sitting on the potty and he's like, I didn't poop. I peed and and the dad gets laughing hysterically he the dad starts laughing so hard he cries and then the little boy is like you sad daddy you sad and the dad's like no 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 no. yes I'm crying but I'm crying because I'm happy and the little boy just doesn't get it he just keeps saying you sad you sad until it's so confusing yeah yeah that you they don't understand laughing until you cry and like the whole tenor of the thing changes when the boy thinks he's so confused like have I made my dad sad somehow But anyway, there is that age where, yeah, then maybe this does get confusing for them. And that's a good time for shower crying. And then (laughs) there's a time when they get a little older, school aged, where modeling this stuff is a little more important. I think I have another good thing we go to a lot that's going to help us here, too, Amy. Okay. 
Books and movies are a good place to practice this. Books and movies are a good place to practice deep talks, talking about death, talking about sex, talking about, you know, hard stuff. Like reading books and watching movies with your kids is a great space to open up things that don't come up always organically. And I think emotionality is another one. I read the book Bridge to Terabithia with my kids and I was doing such an ugly cry that I... (laughs) And Tuck Everlasting, too. Like, I cry all the time when I'm reading my kids' books. And they think, I will say in the beginning, it really bothered them. They didn't like it. But I was like, it just makes me emotional. And a lot of people on the Facebook were saying that, right? Like, oh, I'm always crying. And I think that when you are always crying at things, you know, in movies, it's like your kids get used to it. Now, there is a flip side to that, which I find, I came from a family where, like, we were not public criers. We were shower criers. We're Irish. I know this is the same in your family. Like Irish <laughs> yes. Catholic people are shower criers people. Like literally have been lectured on the way into extremely sad funerals. Like let's not make a scene. Meaning let's not let a single tear roll down our cheek because that would be embarrassing for us. Yeah, I am the big crier. I am the messy crier at every emotional event. But yes, the messaging is there. I mean, the messaging was definitely like this will not be appreciated. Listen, I'm joking a little bit. There were some, you know, exceptions to that. That being said, I know people who come from families where like the mom, oh, there goes mom again. Like the mom cries at everything. Yes. And then the mom's emotional life kind of gets dismissed a little bit. It's like, oh, you know, then mom, like there's no room for mom's emotions in a different way. Uh, Yeah. Which is like mom's emotions are completely dismissible because she cries at every Hallmark card and every commercial. And therefore, like we don't have to interact ever with mom's actual sadness because, oh, there goes mom again. Because it's hair trigger. Yeah. That sounds familiar. Yeah. And it's kind of like my home mom who cares about her feelings, you know, like. Yeah. And so I think that that's also it's another place to verbalize like, oh, my God, I'm nostalgia gets me so much. I find as I get older, this is like I was always like, who cries at you know, the Super Bowl? I cried at like three of the commercials. Like if you put kids running in slow motion and hugging people like I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'm crying. <laughs> but I think that's another piece of it is like. This I'm really having a hard time with this. This is really difficult for me when you are a mom whose emotions get more easily dismissed. Let me tell you, if I cry, (laughs) the house stops and it's like something big is going on. No, not in my house. Yeah, mine's more like the like, oh, here she goes again. But I still and I have two teenage sons. So I feel like, yeah, it's important for me to say like a wide range of emotions is emotional health. I'm not talking about anger. I'm talking about, you know, disappointment. I'm talking about frustration and that crying doesn't necessarily mean weakness at all. And it can mean anger. It can mean a lot of things, you know, that modeling the full range of emotion in front of my kids within safe limits, my kids are older, is good for them. And I don't really care if they think it's stupid to cry because boys don't cry. I'd like to give them another message, like Sabrina was saying, before they leave my house. Yeah. And I think that's fair. And I also think it's fair to attach expectations and verbalize stuff around like, oh, you can ignore me. This book always just gets me. Or like, I can't yeah, watch yeah, yeah. I can't watch the Sarah McLaughlin sad dog commercial without crying. And I'm really having a hard time. I want this kind of support from you now, you know, and like attaching behavior to emotions is also important much later ages and stages. So we have another listener who in the Facebook group gave some good advice around this, which was that she has categories for shower cries. 
Yes. I like where this is going. Yes. That anything relationship related, you know, about her marriage is not something to cry about in front of, you know, anybody under 18 in the house. And, you know, the health of family members was the other example that she gave that that's just this is something to do somewhere else. And I think she's right. There are parameters around this. Like, and it makes me think about your case, like you're losing your parent, you have to help your kids through that. There are times when you're going to be able to do that. And there are times when you're going to have to go have a good shower cry, right? And then and it isn't never bad to compartmentalize this away from the kids. I think it's just important to go do that, then go take that shower. Yeah, and go express them. To know which ones are which. I think that's right. And I think you have to do that in life in general, right? Like you don't, I remember once, my husband and I were just married, my father-in-law was staying with us in a 900-square-foot house. My husband and I gotten he made me so mad. It was like we were early married, and he did something, and I was so furious at him. And my father-in-law was staying with us, and I was like, am I going to play the, like, we're going to pretend to get along for three days until he leaves, and then I'm going to revisit this, you know? And I finally just said to my father-in-law, like, listen, we're having a fight. We got to go take a walk and have a long conversation because, like, I'm really, really mad. And I think my father-in-law was probably... <laughs> you know, would have rather that I kept a happy face on it. But I think you just always have to make this. And then we kind of walked around, talked it out. And we came back and we we're like, all right, we tabled it. Let's move on with our weekend. And like, for me, that was the right choice at that crazy circumstance at that right time. And that's what you're always doing. Like, and it's fine to be like, I'm going to take this one to the shower. And it's fine to say like, guys, mom's just having a real hard time. And we're going to get taken food. You guys play games. And like, I need a little time by myself. I think you just have to keep trying to decide, like, is this a package that is light enough to share with my kids? Or is it so heavy that I need to go put it down in the shower? I have a closer for you. Also from our Facebook group, Jennifer said it so well. She says, I don't hide the most intense parts of being human from the people I'm trying to help on their journey as humans. Wow. That's deep. I know. It's good, right? Say it one more time. That's really deep. I don't hide the most intense parts of being human from the people I'm trying to help on their journey as humans. Yeah. I mean, I think that's right until it gets so intense that like you're giving them the gift of hiding it from them. <laughs> right, right. And both of those things are true, you know, like, and I think that you don't, you know, my husband and I wait till the kids go to bed to have big fights where I'm like, I hate your right. face. Like, I don't want my kids because my kids would be like, my mom and dad are getting a divorce and that's really scary. And they would go through a whole emotional thing where I just have to be like, hey, FYI, your face stinks. <laughs> 11 and a half months into a pandemic, you know, like, and there's stuff that it makes sense that it's too intense for your kids, or it's the wrong kind of intense for your kids. But I think and we've said it on other episodes, and we've lived it in doing a podcast together for almost four years. There are things that are coming down the pike that your kids are going to have to face. And the more they trust you emotionally to help them face it, the better off you all are. And the better off they will be when it's their turn to shoulder those emotional burdens. Agree. Nailed this one, Amy. Yeah. Solved it. Put it to bed. Guys, everyone is emotionally healthy from now on. I'm so glad. <laughs> this worked out for everybody. This worked out great for everybody. We want you to subscribe to us on YouTube. You think the easiest way is they go to YouTube.com and search What Fresh Hell Podcast? Pops right up, right? Sure. Yeah. Just search What Fresh Hell Podcast YouTube. You're done. All right. Subscribe. Follow our funny videos there. Yeah. Come find us. And, and I don't know. It helps us when you subscribe. So please click that button, you know even if you're finding us other places. Guys, we will talk to you until now that you're super emotionally healthy. You probably don't need a podcast anymore. But in case you do, we will be back next week. Talk to you then. 
Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 